and welcome to the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. As promised, we are back with a guest this week after our mid-season review last time out. And we are headed to the Scottish Women's West One League as we introduce Annan Warriors head coach Colin Warwick. We've been doing this podcast for over a year now and I don't think, John, we've ever had anyone come to us to say why have they not been on the podcast yet. It's always us chasing them but either way it's an absolute pleasure to have you here Colin how are you it's been a long time coming getting you on the pod evening lads yep grand great to be here thank you very much from this point forward I believe certainly John will be addressing you Colin as chocolate if it's okay with you we need to know the listeners need to know why we'll be doing that from this point forward how did I know that was going to be the first question you were going to ask me? There's a number of reasons, I suppose. You could believe the, there's the rude one that somebody says, but that's not true. But it all goes back to when I was in the Colts. Neil Halliday, Cash Halliday, the sort of Annan legend, not only player, but um, things like that. He's renowned for giving everybody nicknames. I think half the players in the club will have nicknames that will have come from Cash, to be honest with you. And he called me Chocolate. He used to call me Ferrero, because, but then he decided I wasn't quite posh enough to be a posh brand of chocolate like that, so I just called it the chocolate. Uh, all come to you reckons I used to melt, what they said, I used to melt under pressure and get injured quite a bit. So, and that's basically how they called me chocolate, to be honest with you. And it's stuck with every ever since, and I think, to be honest with you, there'll be more folk know me, not just in Annan, rugby all over the bit, they'll call me chocolate rather than call me Colin, to be honest with you. Chocolate, you mentioned a little bit about the Colts there, and obviously we need to, we need to know where you have come from in your rugby journey, what your background is, where you started, the steps you've taken all the way up into where you are right now. So a little bit of your of your rugby journey in your own words. Yeah, well, it started, well, as you can imagine, I'm 50 now, so quite a long time ago. At the Anne Academy playing, so I, I was more of a football player, as with a lot of lads at the school they were trying to get Persuaded to play rugby by XPE teachers Stan Stan Austin or the late Stan Austin, and also Colin McCann, you know Craig, the Craig McCann's dad. Um, so that's when it started. Then I think probably when I was fourteen or fifteen, went all the way through the school and started playing at the Colts from that. At one point in probably fifth or sixth year, when I started playing for the senior teams, and when I was still under eighteen, I was actually playing. Colin, I'd played with Colin McCann in the same team. He was my PE teacher, and Bill Murray was also a PE teacher was in the first team at the same time as me as well. So led to quite interesting conversations on after on a Monday morning after the game or during a PE class. I can remember once doing the cross country at this time of year, probably on the probably the Wednesday or Thursday, Friday morning after doing the beat test at training on the Thursday night. And Bill was standing at the bottom of the one of the big hills in Annan saying this is just about to start level nine and I thought, ah, you're right enough, you know. But that was that. So, um, as I said, playing the Colts, that was prior to Annan joining the Glasgow League. We played in the Border Leagues. So, uh, as you can imagine, I'm the same age. I think I'm the same age as somebody like Gregor Townsend. I've definitely played Gregor. I might have played against Audie Weir, but I'm not, I don't think I have. You know, so, you're playing against a lot of Scottish legends in the Borders and getting, for want of a bit of a description, kicked to bits every weekend and getting thumped. But I, you know, it was a good foundation. I think a lot of the lads that played in the Colts team then become on to playing key players in the first team for a number of years. Played for the firsts when I was 17. 
made my league debut in 91, I think it is. Something like that. Uh, 417 games and 55 tries later. That's no bad for a wee fat prop. I retired in 2000. And played my last game against Alan Glens in 2018. Seen a lot of, played a lot of places. Played First game was against Linwood, who I don't even think exists anymore. As I say, played in a lot of, uh, I can't, can't really describe them without swearing, to be honest with you, places. And, and there's a lot of good places as well. Been on tour in Canada, we're on tour in Canada, enjoyed that. I had my 21st in Canada, and that's a different story, and I, can't, I, I will not repeat that one. Obviously played in the bowl final in 2003 at Murrayfield with a club and scored a try. My kids both don't like it when we go to Murrayfield and I remind them where I scored to try at, you know. Played for Glasgow District when the club was going through the leagues when we won, I think it was one eight league titles in the trot. And at one point, I think, off the top of my head, we'd maybe have eight or ten players in the Glasgow District squad as well. So people like Goggs, big Neil McGregor, eh, Andy Render, Jack Tinnan, Billy Henderson, try to think well, Babe Graham, all them boys guys played for Glasgow District. My son now, Kieran, plays. He's now the club captain as well. So playing in his his first, seeing him play his first game for the first team was really good. I can remember it really well. Um, and he had one of them, oh, that's my boy moments when he tackled one of their biggest players coming from the side of the ruck. And as I say, we're, we've got the, was the honour, I suppose, of being the first father and son to actually start a first 15 game together for the club. That's pretty much it from a game, you know, my, my playing career. A lot of highlights, as I say, loads of highlights of the ball, playing with Kieran for the first time, and playing in a game with Kieran for the first time. Playing, at, playing against Heriots at Goldenacre uh, in the cup game uh, when I think off the top of my head somebody like Simon Taylor, Gordon Ross and all that were playing and we got a thump in as you do but it was absolutely fantastic performance our, front, our, our pack actually played really well I can remember Kenny Milne coming up to us and buying us a pint after the game because the front row had played that well but as I say that's it a lot, a lot of great memories a lot of people a lot of people you've been friends with for years and you know, you often see somebody kicking a boot that you've played against, and it's uh, aye, it's been good. It was good. Coaching, uh, I started. I don't really know when I started coaching. It must have been about the time when uh, the late Greg Oliver, who was the DO at the time, development officer, and he played a season at Annan as well. And I got into coaching then, so a lot of credit must go to Greg. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. So that's quite a number of years ago. So I done my level one then. I done my level two. As well, then my level two when I started helping with the Warriors, which was about 2015. So before that, I was a Colts coach because we we'd never had a Colts team for a few years because of slack of numbers. As I say, my son's Kieran's age group at the school had a team, and they kind of they're all quite keen. So I coached them and played for the first team at the same time for a couple of years. As I say, I joined the Warriors as assistant coach in 2015, just after they'd started. And I took over as head coach in 2017 and for my sins, probably. Some would say I'm still head coach now. A few more grey hairs later. Do you know, Chocolate, for ages, whenever I was uh, I was a young young lad growing up, I always remember Annan being a big game in our calendar. And I, I could never understand what the rivalry, obviously being an Irvine boy, where that came from. And then you mentioned there the, the bowl final. And I, I was, I was going to, I was going to slap you off because I was going to say, of course, Annan 
notorious for filming everything and anything and that bowl final and those two tries or those that try from you at Murrayfield will be immortalised somewhere on YouTube. It is, I. I've just, I've searched it, I've found it and now I realise why Irvin hated Annan so much because, of course, it was it was Irvin who's played in the bowl final. It was I, it was I. And uh, the famous quote from, the famous quote, I think Jim Hay was actually commentating on it and we scored a try... So as I say, I scored 55 tries. You might be lucky, maybe 45 of them are from five-yard line-outs, to be honest with you. I scored from a line-out, and one of the his, his part words in his commentary, the 17-stone postie, that's first class. So, yeah, that was aye, that was a great day, that. It's something you'll... As, I, as I've said, well, that's what, what, 20 years ago this year, um, as I said, that's uh, a day I can't, I'll never remember. A day I'll never forget, and a night I can't remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. That as we chocolate moved into the into the coaching, obviously the the taking over at Annan Warriors. It's been you've been quite a while there. Mm-hmm. How have you found moving one moving from the from the men's game as a player, and then a bit as a player, and and a little bit as a coach as well, and then just you know taking that step over to the women's to be a coach obviously it's something that you've done for how many years now eight years is that right six or seven i think I, about, about seven. Seven, yeah. about the seventh year i think how have you found it during that time you're obviously still still in the role now so things must be enjoyable at least or going well at least i it's at the start it sort of helped me get over that sort of stop and playing issue where i still wanted to play and funnily enough, I've been sort of helping Juan on on the touchline odd games this season, and it's made me want to play even more, even though I've just had my hip replaced. To be honest with you, um, I so from that point of view, it's good. It's it's a challenge. It's a different challenge coaching ladies to men. I've always found because you've got that many that many players coming along that have never played rugby before, not even in the slightest. Uh, you know, if I had. The number of players I can think of quite a lot of currently the current Warriors that are playing now, that if they come, I, I, oh, can I come along just to take part in the fitness and get fit in that? And I'm not going to play, I'm not going to play. And they all play, every one of them plays, and it's good. But it offers different challenges. You've got to, not only because, well, not being sexist at all, but just because the ladies, they've got different, more, more challenges to go than the men, you know, and they've got the kids that all the kids are always wanting their mummy and, and if there's something happens at home, it's more often than not they're, they're available and that. Um, which is you've got to take on board and you've got to accept, which is fine, you know. And after once you get going and get used to it, you, you sort of make it more it's more about a lot more it's maybe hard to say, a lot more family about it. I, I have to be honest, I really struggle sometimes talking to the ladies. We we make a big thing about presenting their when the, one of the players has played their fiftieth game, so I usually I'll say something in our, our kind of before the game uh, when we have a chat before we go up and warm up and we'll present them their shirt for the day and they get the honour to take the team out and I really struggle I honestly really struggle I get quite emotional about it and you know a lot of the, the a lot of the lassies are really good they're really good they're really committed they do they work hard I'll, you know quite a lot of them as they do they work really hard they put a lot of effort in it. And with the games being Sundays, which offers another challenge as well, you know, it, it's a different, you know, you're travelling up to Oban on a Sunday, so you're not away on the Saturday night, you're not getting back till 10 o'clock on the Sunday night, maybe if you're lucky. 
it's a long trek, a long time on the bus, and then you've got well, the players have got to get up for work in the morning, and they're and they're pretty sore. But aye, it's good. It's a challenge, and you've got the the array, the the vast difference in ability as well. Challenges you're coaching as well, and out of those, I have to say, out of those seven years, I've probably probably coached myself for at least four of them, if not more. Probably probably five altogether, but maybe one of them I'll a bit of bob in that. But this year's the first year I've had. I've got two guys that have come back, Callum Hukin, who has come back to help. He can help. He's there every fortnight. And another lad, Simon Dix, who's just sort of back into the area and he's new to the coaching. So he's he's helping me, which makes a lot of difference. And you've got, I've got quite a lot of experienced players. I've got Wee Nicole, or Dio, she plays and she's, she does a little bit. And my daughter, Kayleigh, that plays as well. She's a coach as well. So she takes on a wee bit now and again, you know. So, ah, it's good, but it's, it offers lots of challenges and, I enjoy it. I enjoy being challenged, and thankfully, when you've got somebody like Kaylee, uh, my daughter Kaylee, and Nicole, who do challenge me quite a lot, um, it it is quite good. It, it you know I like that. I enjoy it. You actually led me perfectly onto my next question there, Chocolate, because I was going to say that I think, obviously, we mentioned being the first to first father son when you played with Kieran, which is fantastic. But I. For this podcast alone, I think you're the first guest that coaches at senior level either a son or a daughter. Is that not right? Yeah, at senior level you will be. Not to make you feel really old chocolate. Yeah. But but yeah, the first father-daughter combo or first father-child coaching setup. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I, it's tricky sometimes. It is tricky sometimes. Kayla's yeah, Kaylee works hard. I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, some of the stuff she does works. How much she effort she puts in, out with out with training, she does. Um, she's one of Jade Jade Conkles her PT. So I've seen her being in the phone to me, message me at half five, six in the morning when I'm at work, and she's in the gym then, and she puts so much work in, so much effort in. It's good, and she does. Yeah, she's. I suppose you could call her rugby noise. She actually loves rugby. She does, you know, she's plays, she'll play as much. She would play every day, two, three times a week if she could. You know, she goes, she's played for Pigbarians. She went all the way up to Aberdeen to play for them, which isn't exactly five minutes in the corner. She's playing next Wednesday against Scottish Police. So, like, uh, she'll be playing against, as far as I know, she's playing against Lisa and Manson. I think they're both playing. Next week she's playing for Kaylee's playing for I think it's Heart and Balls I think she is playing for next week so she loves it she she's good she does challenge a lot you know she queries me a lot and we do have a few run-ins no I'm she I'm not gonna be shy of saying it and she does she will she will admit that as well we have an odd run-in at training but yeah it's good and it's I've got to be challenged you know as a coach I've got especially if I'm there myself I've got to I need to be challenged by the players just to make sure keep me on track and Nicole's good at it as well you know we, me and Nicole work a lot with me being director of rugby at the club as well so I work quite a lot with Nicole anyway so um, she challenges me a lot which again is good sometimes it can be difficult yeah but it's 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 good it's good to keep it keep it real as it were I suppose Charles I just want to ask so obviously you've got a Haley playing with the women's you've got Kieran playing with the men What's it been like? Because we often hear about it, we often talk about it, but it's it's not very often that you actually get to be able to properly put your finger on it. But 
as a dad who has grown up playing rugby and to see your kids picking up that sport and getting so much from it as well. We talk about how much value to life that rugby can can provide people. As a dad looking at what it's provided for your two kids, it must be, like, must fill you with pride and make you feel emotional, as you say, about just how how well they've done, but how much rugby supported that and, and probably following in your footsteps. Yeah, it does. It, it, yeah, as I say, I can still remember. I remember Kieran's first game for the seniors. Uh, it was a trial game at Crichton and he was only, he'd just been cleared to play. Adult, clear adult rugby, so he'd only be 17. And it was, uh, there's my daughter phoning me actually, funnily enough. He'd just been playing and it was one of the pre-season trial games and I can remember him playing and he'd done something in the game and I couldn't believe it. I thought, Jesus God, man, what are you doing? It's something really good and I thought, ah, yeah, right, that was it. To see Kieran progress and play play for the first team, which is, is, is good in itself, you know, but that'll get knocked me, took me out of the team, actually. I got dropped for him once time, so it was my own fault because I, I can remember getting injured somewhere and Kieran was playing, I think he was either on the bench or playing back row. And I'd said to Muff, who was coaching at the time, look, sit Kieran at hooker, he'll be all right. And that was him. So he played there. I played the weekend after, and he came on for me. Then the weekend after that, I got dropped for him. And that, that, that I, didn't like, I didn't like that. Like, I didn't like that bit. But aye, it's good. It's strange because he plays hooker now, but he's having to play prop as well. And I played prop probably most of my career and played hooker towards the finish a bit. I don't think we'll have played prop and I don't think I'll have propped and he's played hooker for the first team. I don't think so. Might have done. But I was saying, it was, my last two games, last two that were supposed to be my official games, last game at Annan, I started and they took me off and put Kieran on. And my last official first team game, barring two or three that I paid off the bench for a couple of seasons after that, he started, and they put me. They took him off and put me on, but I scored after that, and he doesn't. He wasn't happy with that either. Funnily enough, so I so that the pride of that and, and Kieran being captain now, he's he's good. Yeah, fills me with pride. It's something I'd never done for the club either. But you know, it's it's always tinged with that a little bit because Kieran's got so so. He has got. He could be potentially even better than he is. I say McKayley, as I say, to watch Kayleigh play, unbelievable. You know she. I don't know what it is about Kayleigh. If you looked at her on a Monday morning after she'd been playing rugby, it's as if somebody's had her with a baseball bat and just give her a good scalping. She's black and blue from top to bottom. When you see people, oh, that's my daughter Kayleigh, they just look at you and think, have you been battering her? You know, uh, but you question it, but she's there every week. And as I say, she's from her collarbone, when she broke her collar, she broke her collarbone last year. She's pinned and plated. She's like Meccano. She still struggles with it. Now when you, I go, okay, you all right, Kayleigh? And you know, if you get silence off her, she's in pain. She just won't tell you. And you just got to like, okay, get on with it. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, to watch them both play, it's great. It would be amazing if I could play in the same team as both of them at the same time. But obviously that's not possible. Um, but I. It, it, it does feel really pride, you know. You know, you can't you can't get away from it. Yeah, it does. Them pair especially, and I've got I've, I've got to say as well, I I'd, I'd probably get tell off again. My daughter-in-law plays for the ladies as well, so Kieran's wife plays for the ladies as well. So I'd better not forget her um, as well. So 
I enjoy it. It's great to watch them play. I'm fortunate, you know, I've went a lot of years not being able to watch Kieran, or Kieran play, but a lot of, sorry, I'll rephrase that, a lot of parents don't get to watch their son or their daughter play rugby or play football or whatever it is. You know, I've pretty much watched Kieran. I've watched him. I coached him at the Colts. I've watched him there. I've, I've watched him. The only time I probably didn't see him when he went, when the second year in the Colts, we didn't have enough. So he went and played at Langham, which for his sins, you know, I didn't get to see him playing over there. Watching him playing for the first team all the time and watch Kayleigh as a coach or watching Kayleigh play when t- she's, she's played, she's dual registered at Heriot's as well. So she's been up there playing, watching her play for them as well, which is, yeah, you, you see it. It's great, you know, how much they progress, how much they enjoy it. Aye, it, it does fill you with a lot of pride. Something I wanted to touch on, Chocolate, that you had mentioned, uh, was actually, John, I'll ask you this first, to begin with, actually. It's something we've talked about before, and actually, Chocolate mentioned it just a couple of minutes ago, is, is how different it is when you're coaching the men's or coaching Colts and coaching women and their senior first team. And it's something that you personally have done all three of I believe so there is that that difference that you have to kind of allude to when it comes to your coaching and it's not always the easiest thing to do yeah I think it's it's probably you'll agree with me Charles it's just a slightly different approach eh? when you when you're coaching the boys it's a bit more a bit more yes sir no sir three bags full sir so it's like we want you to do this and the boys are just like yeah okay but with the women like it's almost like you need to have the layers of of why you do it, so they're not just happy with the. Well, it's because this. Say for example, like we want you to be set up and we want you to attack off that off that fringe between the back of the line out. But why? Well, because that's the weakest point between the defence. The, the forwards are trying to link up with the backs. Yeah, but why? Well, well, because there's there's that ten meter gap there, and essentially it's a dog leg. Yeah, but why? Because that's just the easiest place to attack. Oh, okay, and and then, but it's almost like the four follow up questions, and you have to be like fully aware as to why you're attacking that seam, or why you're you're going for that weak shoulder, or why you want to carry on the outside rather as carry on the inside because it takes out the back. Yeah, you have to have those layers of knowledge because. The women will find you out about it if you're not able to back that up. Whereas, I'm not saying the men, but the men just, they're almost because they've historically had probably more ex- exposure to rugby. They just accept it as to that's what happens, but they don't fully understand why. Whereas women sort of need to understand the why before they're able to put it into practice. Is that Would that be fair to say, Chocolate? I see you nodding away there. I, I would say so. One of the things I've, I quite often say to the ladies is there's there's no such thing as a stupid question. I encourage them to ask questions and there's no such thing as a stupid question. You might get a stupid answer of me, might some later at the time, but you know, there's there's you've got to know what that they're understanding what they're doing or why they're doing it. That's the key. Not so much always what they're doing, but you you've got to understand if you're asking them to as John says, attack that scene between the back of the line out and the 10 or whether you're attacking them, asking them to attack the same way all the time or, or while you're asking them not not consistently to throw passage without looking, you know, you've got to ask them what you've got. You've got to, they've got to understand why you need to do that. So as you say, you've got to have that knowledge and the detail about, about it, but you've got to put it in terms 
sometimes you've got to put it in terms that are quite simple as well, you know, and build it up from there and you do little things. I use, I know I use quite a lot of, I do, I usually do, we do do a wee bit of analysis, even though we don't have analysis packages, we, we use it quite a lot. We've got a WhatsApp group and I encourage the players to look at, watch games and mark down if there's or if something happens at say 55 minutes, what is it? Ask the question in the chat, in our group chat, and then I'll try and answer it if, them, if the referee's making a decision that nobody understands. If I understand it, I'll answer it, but <laughs> which is quite often not the case at the moment. But um, aye, so things like that. So we 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 try and work like that, especially the new players. It's difficult, especially the last two seasons. We really struggled for numbers last year, and we had to take the step down from National One into the West Regional League. And I think the first game of the season, off the top of my head. We had, we'd lost a number of players coming out of COVID who had owned their own businesses and needed to concentrate on that. And the first game of the season, we had something like eight players that had not played rugby before playing for us. And they were starting as well, which makes it difficult. And then again, this time, this year, we've got three or four players that you're having to, whereas normally you would sort of build them in if it was a men's, you would build them through the second team and in, but in the ladies, you just you're not fortunate. Are not fortunate enough to have that avenue. You've got to get them lobbed straight in, you know, without you know just throw them straight in the deep end. Like like up think two or three weeks ago, we were at Bacatha had a, a nine playing that hadn't played nine, hasn't played nine before, and she hasn't really played a lot of games to be honest with you. Had a second row at centre, had a wing forward at fourteen, and had a lassie on the bench who had not played rugby before, and you're getting thrown them in against players that are. Sometimes you're playing, throwing them in against apprenticeship players, you know, and it, it, it's a big challenge. It's it's you've got to judge whether it's the right thing to play them, whether it's the right thing to put them on or off the bench, or whether it's the best thing for them not to play. Chocolate, there's two main avenues that I touch on before. You know, we do the the normal things to to finish up. Still, plenty of questions left, but the two main avenues I have in my head is is one the more individual, and the other the more collective as Anna Warriors together. And I wanted to start with the individual as we're on the topic of coaching. It, it's clear that although you joke that you might not know the answer to things, it, it's clear that you have that level of knowledge of the game and of experience of the game and of coaching of the game. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown? Because I don't think I've asked this to some of our other coaches in quite a long time. Your experiences going through the coaching levels, the badges, maybe who took you through it, how you found them, did you take to them well? Was it something that you really had to work at until you found a passion for it? You know, How was your experience with all this kind of moving into the coaching world? Always enjoyed coaching, even from when I was back playing, I would be going and maybe go and help at the minis or help with the youth teams and done obviously a little specific stuff like front row coaching and, and line out throwing, etc., things like that. As I said before, I'd done my level one God knows all of that. We must have been when did Greg play? Early two thousand probably before two thousand and Greg was here. So it would be pre two thousand when I'd done my level one, which I just you know, I just Quite, for no, I can't remember. Probably for no reason, I just fancied doing it, and I enjoyed it. And that was through Greg, and I spoke. Used Greg was really good, and even after he moved on to 
all these other roles and then over into Ireland, we still kept in touch and obviously it's a great loss that he's gone. But my level two, I done it when I started at the Warriors. Um, I done it at Dumfries. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was good. And a little bit more detail, a little bit more. It was still then, that was P. That was when it used, was the UKCC level two rather than the aspiring coaches or whatever it's called. Yeah. I had done that then and then I'd done my level three pre-COVID. I'd done it at the same time as Sandy done his, as Wiley done his at Newt Stewart and Dav as well. They used to be at the Sirens. We all we were all on the same course. Yeah, that was good. Far more detail, a lot of work. A year-long course that turned into two years because of COVID. Enjoyed that, done a lot of that with my mentor was Chris Reed, who was is fantastic. Is and then polished that off sort of after the first lockdown, I think it would be it was hard work, a lot of, a lot more detail, a lot more stuff, a lot of challenging stuff and learned a lot of good stuff out of it and enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I enjoyed it. And and since then I've done my Coach my development course as well, so um, I'm I can sort of do do like so the new coaching essential courses as well. I help them, and we I work as I say work with Nicole at the club, and we do a lot of try and do a lot of CPD in house, and work with a lot of our new coaches. And I think it's one of the, one of the things I can remember, and I've always said, it's the differences between the the old level one, the two, and the level three. In the level three, you've got a mentor and you've got somebody where you can bounce stuff off all the time. In the level one and the level two, you, you're just, whether it's your one-day course or two-day course, that's you done. On you go, boys, get on with it. And that, that's pretty much it. And that makes it difficult. A lot of coaches might not go down the right path. They might not enjoy it. They might not have anybody at the club that they can talk to, that they can bounce stuff off. Or if, if they are struggling, they don't know who they can talk to. Um, but we're at the level three. You've got the mentor. You've got Chris there. Or I had Chris there that was at the end of the phone. That you could you could message. We were regularly in touch. He was down. He does two or three. Does two coaching visits, uh, two session visits, and two game visits during your course. And he was still there. He's always there. And anytime you need anything, you give him a bell. You know, so it's great. And um, we've tried to do that at the club as well now. So all our new coaches. Me or myself or Nicole will do a follow up with them, and we sit and do CPD stuff on session planning, which is quite crucial and helps them out in that. And we're I'm always open and welcoming. Nicole is as well, and a number of other coaches are at the club that we will any anybody anybody that's new, doesn't matter what age group they're coaching at, they can come along and watch our sessions and ask questions, and we're always happy to share stuff. So yeah, so from that point of view, coaching, I've always really enjoyed coaching. I don't know why. It's hard. It's a hard thing. I don't know. It's something that I think. I suppose seeing the, seeing something done well that you've coached and you've worked on, and seeing the team do it, or whether it's a team or an individual doing it, and it actually coming off and transferring it into the games. And I can remember that I, we would, we were playing Howard Fife with the ladies a few years ago, and Callum Pukin, who was on about integrate integrated one of our backs moves that used to be having the first team. Not that I ever knew much about it, and he was always in the scrum. And we scored off it. First time we used off score, we used it, we scored off it, and Jane Stewart, a fullback, went right through like a hot knife through butter. And I was too busy trying to run and on, getting the kicking tee on, and trying to text Callum and say we'd scored off this move and this and that and the other, and try it at the same time, and I just lost the plot, you know. But to say, see things like that happen and, and little things like that, and it just gives you that, yeah, you know, you've done it right. And it gives you that the wee bonus that the players have enjoyed it and they see why you're doing it. 
and that that's the thing I enjoy to see seeing the players actually doing something that they've been working on and improving. Even this season with the ladies, although we've not probably had the best of the seasons, you know, you can see little things coming off that we've been working at and things, improvements where we have been keeping working at the same thing and we're keeping improving it. But yeah, on the flip side of the coin, it's frustrating when you don't see it coming off. Chocolate, it's as if we've uh, just pre-prepared you and we've lined all this, this stuff up because, lo and behold, literally two days ago, you'll never guess who our newest follower on on Twitter or X was. Read Bro 2 also, oh, Chris. Chris. also known as Chris. Uh-huh. Good, He's now a good. follower of the podcast. Welcome along, Chris, just in time to get your name dropped on the mm-hmm. pod, son. Funnily enough. <laughs> but then also, Chalk, you just you touched on a little bit there. Obviously, the season, this season has been a little bit of a tough one, but you're seeing improvements. Is that has that been the overall objective for this season? It was building experience with those new players and it sort of come across that way. It, it sort of ended up a little bit like that way. At the start of the season, we had a bit of higher target than that, it has to be said. I certainly did as myself. But we've just, because we've not been able to get the same team out consistently, I have to be said, probably especially in the backs, you know, when it's it's made it difficult. Now it's, it's about building and keeping building and improving what we've got and then getting the new players more experience and getting them up to the level that, they need to be at do well in this league, I suppose, because I firmly believe the West One is, from our point of view, it's it's a tougher league than the Premiership because there's there's a lot of teams that are really good teams, and you know you're going up to the central belt. You know you could be playing Cartha, for example. Maybe shouldn't they say it, but one week you'll play them when they've got six first team players playing on them, which makes a lot of difference. And then you're going up to West and you've got all these teams that have got quite a big catchment. You're going over there. So, yeah, there's some games where we've got to go Oban. Last game of the season, probably going Oban potentially could be a relegation issue. And yet, Oban don't seem to be able to come on. You know, another subject, should I say. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's about building and it's about finding players not so much finding players, getting players to develop in their positions and developing the squad, you know, you've got, and that's what we've got. I've got more than enough players that if they were all available, I would have a hell of a lot more grey hairs than I've got already because it would be a tough selection on a Tuesday and a Thursday night. But we, as I say, we just don't seem to be able to have the consistent numbers available every week. Some weeks will maybe have 24, other weeks will have 18, and you've got a couple of the experienced girls that aren't available because of work commitments or or something else, you know what I mean? So it's it's a challenge, our injuries and that as well. But it's good, and we've got some good girls. We've, our under-18s train alongside us all the time, part and most of the session except the contact stuff, the way they do it sort of separately. But we've got, we're lucky enough, we've got, well, Neve Ross, who has been cleared to play for us and has been fantastic playing at nine, Maybe Nicole's maybe not so much happy because she's having to play 10. But yeah, it's great. And we're producing, it's one thing I think we've been really good at. We're producing a lot of good girls coming up. We've got Zoe Mitchell from last year. Zoe and Eve are in the Czech Republic in the summer playing sevens for Scotland. And we've had, prior to that, we've had obviously Ellie Henderson, who was in Scotland's future setup. We've had Lexi Steele, who played for under 18s, Lily Glendinning, 
We played for under eighteens and under twenties. All those girls that have played well and but one of those things, you know, out of those all those girls now, you know, you've got Lily, you've got Lexi, you've got Ellie, the three that all were in have, have been in Scotland under eighteens, under twenties. There's not one of them plays for Annan anymore. You know, Lily's at the Cougars, Hill, Ellie's now at Hills and Lexi doesn't play any longer, you know. And so that's one of the other challenges of coaching and producing players down here and it's the same at Stuart. Whether it's men or boy, boys or girls, or you know, they get to a level and then they're basically told you need to go and play somewhere else, um, which makes it a challenge. You do a lot of hard work and a lot, of, a lot, put a lot of effort in developing these players, and then all of a sudden, yeah, you can't hold them back. You want them to go and play and play at the best level they can be, be the best best player they can be at the best level. But then you don't really get any thanks or reward for it. It's always what I think, anyway. You know. And Chocolate, what about the the game at the weekend just there? I think something I've been saying on the podcast is is scoring points in in at least your recent games hasn't been a problem. I think there's definitely something firing about your attack. It might just be sharpening up in in defence. But this game, Annan 12, West 27, is definitely one of the closer ones we've had in recent weeks, at least. How How did you find that game? It was again enough tough a tough game in tough conditions, or they ended up certainly definitely tough conditions. I there's a couple of few a few common themes that we've we've seen and we've spoke about it as a group and a coaching group and also the playing group as well. Some teams are are getting opportunity they're being very efficient when we give them opportunities. We make a mistake, we're giving up a score sometimes. So yeah, our defences has been our, our probably our weakness this season. When it works, when it clicks. You know, we're we're making our tackles, we're making turnovers, we're pressurising teams into mistakes. But when it's not, we're giving teams some easy yards and we're having to scramble a bit more. But again, that, a, a lot of that comes down to, for me, comes down to consistently training with the same group all the time. So if you're not picking any numbers, or you know, if you're 10, and tw- 10 12, 13 and 15 aren't training each week or every other week together, you know, that... that I'm going to use the word trust, but it's probably not trust. You know what I mean? The trust of, of knowing what that person's going to do when it comes to defence gives you that little bit of doubt, causes that little bit of doubt, and therefore sometimes your line speed might not be there or you do, you miss a tackle when you're trying to jam in instead of staying on, on your player. That's it. Our, our defence, we've worked hard at our defence, our tackling has come, come on a lot. We, st- we struggled early in the season a little bit, with the new tackle height laws, but um, we seem to. I think well, I like to think we've kind of got over that barrier, and we're we're doing a lot better. As you say, we're. I wouldn't say we're finding point scoring points easy, but we are scoring more points. Again, we're still leaving quite a number. Of, I felt on Sunday we left two or three opportunities on the pitch, and it shows a little difference if we'd taken maybe two of those opportunities and never give them two of the opportunities from our mistakes, the scoreline could have been different, you know. And last but not least, it is Greenock this weekend. Greenock away. What are your thoughts this Tuesday, this Thursday, and hopefully following in on those for Sunday? There'll be another challenge. It's, it's not a place, historically, we've had a lot of success at Greenock. I don't know 
what it is about it, but um, we've not really had a mass amount of success up there. It's getting towards the crunch time of the season, three games left. I honestly think we need to at least win one to stand a chance of staying up. Certainly this weekend is is one of the ones that we should have a real good shot at it. We we drew 15 all at Violet Bank in the first fixture and I think we probably should have we should have won it, to be honest with you. We scored right at the right at the death to get a draw and we probably should have won. So yeah, yeah, all eyes are firmly fixed on Sunday. I'm not too sure what, what our squad's looking like yet. Uh, to be honest with you, see what how a couple of girls have come out on Sunday. Regarding injuries, we've got a couple of girls that are unavailable, so it'll be we'll go up, we'll give it our all like we always do. That's one thing the Warriors always do. They they go out and give everything. They certainly fight for each other, give it our best, and see what it comes. What comes? To be honest, it's gotta be difficult as well tonight. I think uh, the pitches aren't really trainable, so like we've got we're doing a. So a different session tonight. We've got a gym session planned tonight. So, and then we'll train indoors because we've sourced a horse arena, an indoor horse arena to train in. So that's really good facility, um, ideal for what we need. So, and before you ask, John, I don't look like my little pony. So yeah, it, that'll be good. So that's Thursday night, and then on a Sunday, um, we'll see where we are from there. It'll be what it'll be. You know, if we we go out and put our best in. We play our best. If we everything clicks, we're more than good enough to beat them up there. If we get a good start, we've we've st- we've tend to have started well the last two or three games. Really started well, and then make a mistake. Uh, you know, make a mistake, and the other team capitalises. So if we can get through that first ten minutes spell, build really well into the game, I am quite positive, quite hopeful. The last thing, chocolate. Then we need to do is. A little bit of name dropping as we do some quick fire teammates. So this is completely your choice. We've got ten very quick questions. Whether you want to do it on boys you've played with in the past or the girls you're coaching at the moment, it is completely up to you. You can mix and match. You don't have to choose one or the other. Whoever comes into your head first is perfect. The first one on our list is the hardest trainer. Hardest working. Well, I'll do. T- I'll give you two probably uh, out my players that coach now. Currently, I'm going to have to say Kaylee. Very rarely misses a session. Does a lot of extras as we call them. Of players I used to play with, I'm not going to say myself. Uh, I'll probably say probably Andy Render. Who's the loudest in the dressing room? I can't really answer that. I'm very real. I don't go into the ladies' dressing room on a Sunday. Uh, allowed us in the dressing room that I played with of the current players probably Sean Harran the scariest and loudest in the changing room would be Neil Big Stuff McGregor turned a man to fear that put fear down you through you like that like that Neil definitely what about the worst dresser worst sense and fashion of the current ladies I'm going to follow Nicole on this not that I have got a clue about fashion it would have to be Lucy Stevenson who maybe in the past used to spend the longest in front of the mirror? Babe Graham. Zoom. Uh, definitely Zoom. What about the bo- the most naturally talented rugby player? I'll probably go for... I could well go for two. Again, <laughs> it's a strange one, this. I'll go for a father and son. Andy Render and Aitken Render. Aitken is... You know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. 
that obviously didn't evolve very far at all. Aitken is quality and Andy was quality. I remember playing with Andy in that over 35s and under 35s. Aye. And you could tell. Like, you know, you get them boys that, you're like old boys that when you play in those games and you just mm-hmm. like, you would have been utter class when you played. That and that was Andy's first game since he stopped playing. That would be Andy's first game in, he retired a couple of years after we won the ball. 15 years, maybe. I reckon. I reckon. Yeah, Andy, just... Andy Render, the only player that I have ever heard of. You hear of players playing winger, 13, 10, back row, front row. Andy won player of the year playing hooker and he won player of the year playing either 13 or on the wing for the first team. Absolute monster machine, right? He's one of our best mates at all, but he's uh, me and Andy used to train train together. His house before we had Violet Bank, we used to train together and we used to do weights in the bedroom and weights in his in his spare room and that. And we'd do a run. Andy was mega fit. I was me quite fit enough. You know, I was a bit a bit stronger, so there was that little gauntlet challenge. You know, I'll, I, I'm a wee bit quicker than you. I'll have to chase you, right? Okay. And we saw. I can always remember finishing. We used to do sets of fifty setups. And the wee bar you used to tuck under the doorway, yeah? and the gauntlet come out one night, done fifty each. And we maybe do three sets of fifty, and we just got that wee look, and it was as if somebody had slapped each other with a gauntlet. So we'll do another one. We ended up doing about seven or eight sets of fifty each, and then we just looked, yeah, that'll do. That's it. But I, Andy, absolutely quality. Playing hooker, he can run the length of the pitch and beat the wingers. He could sidestep. He could trip and chase. He had good hands. He could hook. Took the ball with heed and tackle all day, run all day. Good quality, quality player, Andy. Right? Who's the biggest joker? Billy Henderson, unquestionably. Billy Henderson, he, he was renowned for having the £5 note on the bit of elastic. And I can remember playing GHK in the cup and throwing the drop in the fiver on the floor and Shade Monroe went to pick it up. And he got, we just got half, three quarters of the way doing it, and went ping, straight in the back pocket. I remember I Billy Billy's practical. I can't I can't repeat some of his practical jokes because I think he probably still uses some of them. But they're quality, quality. Is there anyone you can think of that might be lazy in training, but then on a game day they can just turn it on? Yeah, Nicole Barlow's little sister, Kirsty. She is. If you had to have a regularly, I've said this quite a lot. She might not be happy if I tell you this, but I could turn if I said to John, "Come along, there's." My 23 players there, pick my 15. You wouldn't pick Kirsty if you watched her training. But on the Sunday, she puts, she's, uh, she's good on the Sunday. Who's the hardest? As in hardest physically, eh, I'll give you two. Hardest in the men was Big Stuff, probably. Again, that's probably because he was the scariest. But Boo Boo, Big Stuff, Neil Big Stuff, McGregor, or Boo Boo Elliott, they were the two hardest ones. And in the girls, ladies, and Nadine, Nadine Barnes. She doesn't play anymore, unfortunately. Um, quality player, but she was physically quite quite hard. I can always remember the first game I ever played for the first team was a trial against Dumfries. You know, you used to play them four 20-minute trials at the start of the season. And I played, I was playing for the first team and the second team were playing on this pitch beside us. I was playing loose head and I can remember somebody got injured. Tight head got injured and they got the second team tight head over. He went to tight head. He got injured. I ended up at tight head and I was what must have been sixteen, seventeen year old. And their 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 prop was giving me an absolute beast in. 
And then the next thing I seen, there was this fist come flying up beside my face, hit the boy square in the face, and that, that stopped it. That was boo-boo. So it was, <laughs> aye, he was, maybe shouldn't say that, but aye, it's true. But probably him and big stuff. But Last one is the best to have on a night out. Uh, again, I'll follow the call. Becky Nelson takes a bit of beating. And then we have a community bus in Annan that we use on a Sunday, and I drive it most of the time. So it, sometimes they're quite good, so it takes a bit of concentrating when you're driving. But uh, Becky Nelson's great fun on the bus. Karaoke singing is amazing. But another one I'll drop, Muff's wife, Lyndon. I can remember playing at Glasgow. I think it was Glasgow Ackies, and it was a day that one of the our former captain, captains said that told everybody she was expecting and sent me and we told everybody and Lyndon was twerking at the front of the bus on the way down the road in the bus. It was absolutely hilarious, but uh, pure quality. It's one thing that the ladies do know how to do is they do enjoy They do they all work, work hard. Well, play hard, party hard. They're not shy of having a wee party on a Sunday night. Chocolate, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. We apologise it's taken so long to get you on, but what a pleasure it's been now we've finally done it. We wish you all the best for the rest of the season. As always, fingers crossed for this weekend. Greenock away. Hopefully you can get a good performance and hopefully get you on the pod again sometime soon. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Chalks. You're listening to the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast bring you the latest updates, captivating interviews and in-depth analysis of the sport we love. And now we have some exciting news for our listeners. This season we are proudly sponsored by BE Uniforms, the clothing partner of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. They have been providing top quality workwear and rugby kits for over 34 years, serving rugby clubs, schools and businesses across Scotland and the north of England. What sets BE Uniforms apart is their commitment to quality and their extensive experience in the industry. With 10 retail stores spread across the region, they are the largest uniform company in the area. They've partnered with renowned brands like Canterbury and Macron, making them the go-to destination for all your rugby kit needs. From Melrose to Oban and beyond, BE Uniforms has been supplying top quality rugby kits to clubs all over Scotland. So, if you're gearing up for the 2023-24 season and looking for a reliable kit supplier, we highly recommend checking out BE Uniforms. Visit their website at beuniforms.com to explore their impressive range of rugby kits and workwear options. But that's not all. Did you know that BE Uniform hosts the podcast shop on their website? Now you can go show your support for the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast by purchasing exclusive DG Rugby Pod merch. We want to express our sincere gratitude to BE Uniforms for their support in bringing you this season of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Now, let's get back to the action on the field. Stay tuned for more captivating interviews and insightful previews and reviews of all the thrilling rugby happening across Dumfries and Galloway. Welcome back to part two of this, and I didn't say it at the start, but I believe this is the 48th episode of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast, almost at that 50. Now, a little bit confusing yet again, 
with some different leagues having buys, games being cancelled, national league teams playing at different times than the regional teams. It's all a little bit of a mixed match. So we will run you through as much as possible, but just be aware that there are a few teams that won't feature because of some of those reasons. Results roundup to begin with, and it was a great win for Newton against top of the table Falkirk, away from home, winning 32-49. Yeah, Miley was really happy with the lads, thought it was a cracking performance and really blew Falkirk away in the second half. So the first half was a tight affair with Jack Gaw kicking three penalties and then scoring two tries. And just before halftime, Russell Morton managed to score, slicing through the defence to make it 16-15 at halftime. It started the second half brilliantly. Tries from Mark, Robbie Service and Jack Gaw all converted. Uh, Falkirk managed to get the score and there was two more tries from Wilson Sloan and another from Mark to take the score to 49-20. Falkirk scored two late tries to draw them up to the 32 mark and then that was the game done and dusted by then. There were some outstanding performances uh, and the sun really was a factor in the game with it being in the eyes in the first half but David Gaw kicked brilliantly to give them good territory and Jack Gaw with 24 points really made it a strong Newton game. Russell Morton was as always electrifying in the back line uh, in the forwards, Mark and James McMeekin were absolutely class. They learned from their mistakes uh, in the first game of the season and played slightly differently. We've been uh, a bit more forward orientated and then making sure that the backs had a bit of a platform to play. So seems to have worked pretty well for the boys from Newton Stewart. So well done to them. That's a, that's a good turnaround. Unfortunately for Dumfries Saints, it was another... Pretty heavy defeat. They travelled to the capital to play Boromir and they came away with an 83-12 loss. Yeah, it's a, t- a tough one for Saints. We won't dwell on it too long. We won't make them relive it. 82-12, we know they've been struggling with a few injuries this last couple of weeks and an away trip to Boromir certainly wouldn't have helped matters there. So it's a tough one for Saints to take. But as Paddy said... In the last couple of times we've spoken to them, it's it's looking at performances and looking to try and build some stuff. And listen, they're just going to need to chalk these last couple of results off as as bits of bad experience or bad weeks, and hopefully they can bounce back. Another one that's looking at bad experiences, Ross. I've heard mixed reports on this one. So I've heard a few folks saying, considering the team that Stuart Trade put out and the unavailability, the players that were unavailable, to come away with a bonus point away from home, is a good result. I know you like to win. So 59-22, where does that sit with you now, a couple of days after it, now you've had a chance to contemplate? Yeah, a couple of days have passed and it's it's definitely something we should be proud of. It was a heavily, heavily mixed team, which is, I think, a blessing and a curse because we've got so many boys to pick from, which is great, and it makes competition for places that much harder and training is competitive and fierce and everyone wants a shot but at the same time we've used 40 different boys this season and that continuity that you talk about John 
sometimes isn't there. And that definitely was the case going up to Strathmore. We just had a lot of people that weren't available. And even some of the people that did play were at a wedding the night before. And that's not to say that they didn't play well. Angus Lindsay and Andrew Pickin both played very well. But it's just a sign of how much is going on at the moment, how much chopping and changing we've done in the team. And, you know, to go up there with not even a full subs bench and score four tries against a strong Strathmore team that were definitely out for blood because they are the team we played in the first game of the season and we won with a kick in, in the last play. You know, 59-22, as you say, John, directly after the game, immediately after the game, I'm never happy about it because it, uh, a lot is a loss to me. But after putting our heads together and, and you know, celebrating the fact that we'd gone up there with a very changed team and, and managed to come away not with nothing is is good. On top of that, the tries we scored were good. Teamwork tries. I got the first two and I am under peer pressure to tell you that my combined yard making for those two tries is something like five or something tiny like that. On the Voss back, everyone wants me to make sure that I tell them on this podcast, TJ made a fantastic break, got tackled just before the line and I supported him round the corner and he popped it up and I dived over. Listen, mate, if TJ can't do the job, <laughs> that's TJ's problem. No, that it wasn't actually from TJ. It's it's this it's more the second one. We had a nice, really good driving mall, fucked up the pitch. Archie Nicholson, our nine, takes it off the back of the back of the driving mall, draws one defender, and I run through straight on that gap from about the five meter line. But Archie would like it like me to tell everyone that he did all the work and all I've done is claim the claim the spoils of two tries and a in a bonus point win. So we've resorted to a crash ball ten. More or less, yeah. <laughs> More or less, it's a bit. It's interesting. Is that your, is that your style of Ted? It's definitely not, but it's. I mean, those. The way I see it is, those opportunities opened up, and I was uh, I was good enough to take them. So, mate, at the end of the season, I will just say, Ross Anderson, and the number of tries, mate. I'll not tell you how you made them. Exactly, exactly. Ben Spence got our third try with a really nice cut line off off of a ruck. And our fourth and bonus point came from, actually came from a massive hit, genuinely massive hit from Andrew Pickin, which made the player spill the ball, picked up Mick McCulloch, good hands, out wide to Finlay Smith, and he ran it in from probably just outside our 22 or just inside our half for the bonus point. So we'll obviously come on to the, to the fixtures this weekend. It is looking a lot better for us as it comes to, when it comes to, Player availability, I believe we have absolutely everyone available apart from myself. <laughs> but we'll come on to that in a minute. Back to winning ways as Shire put Oban to the sword at home. 31-25. Yeah, when I spoke to John, he said it was a tough game on Saturday, but it was a good to be able to grind out a victory against them. Definitely made things hard for themselves at times. They got off to a really strong start with Cam Young opening the scoring in the corner after some good pressure in their half. Oban took three points to themselves, keeping within touching distance before Adam King managed to score off a penalty move from five metres 
to put them 10-3 up. Similar story in a lot of the games recently. The boys just seemed to switch off after getting ahead and they gave Oban a couple of soft tries, which then meant Oban took a 10-17 lead. John gave the boys a bit of a rocket at halftime after that and they did get themselves back into gear with a good chip and chase try from Gregor Henry to put the boys level before Cam Young got another one in the corner to make sure that at halftime the score was 22-17 in Shire's favour. The second half, they had some really good early possession. Neil Forsyth knocked over a penalty to keep the scoreboard ticking over but we didn't manage to turn any more of the pressure into points. Oban got back in with another try and spent a good chunk of time camped in the 22, but Shire had to throw everything at them in defence in order to keep them out and made a couple of good exits, but the penalty count was starting to go against them. Oban took another three points to get the game to 25-25 with about five minutes to go. Bit of a contrast to a previous game when they played Lindsay, where Shire crumbled, to use John's words. But the boys showed a bit of resilience this time. They were able to put their own pressure on and they got rewarded with two penalties, which Mark McComb managed to knock over to, to win the game for Shire. So, much tougher game than it needed to be. They expected Oban to be tough after they had lost their um, up the road. So, it's Tremendous for them to be able to come away with that with that victory and a bonus point as well. The last in the men's of our results roundup because the Moffat game was cancelled. We'll come on to that in just a second though. Was Annan against Kilmarnock. Annan at home and they got a good win. 19-10. Yeah, and Annan enjoyed their second win on the bounce at Violet Bank. Uh, on Saturday, we were kind of ch- talking a bit to chocolate uh, off air, and they're hoping that that's a sign of things sort of turning around again for them after they've started so well and then lost a couple of games on the bounce. So they're hoping that that's the shot in the arm that they need. And in fronted up to make it a home and away double against Kilmarnock uh, after they won that game, as we said at the opening at the start of the season. This lifts Annan up into seventh. Jan said in the first half, we ran away with it. We had three really well-executed tries. Those scores came after Kamarnock had opened the scoring with a penalty and Annan had some strong possession for 20 minutes. Sean Hearn managed to touch down for first before AJ pounced on a nice little box kick by Fraser McMillan and James Kirby ended the third with McMillan converting two of them. The boys were really starting to identify some gaps in the attack and managed to put in some Good performances stand out from James Kirby. The second half was more of a defensive effort as the bonus point eluded Annan and Kilmarnock were able to grab a late consolation try. One final attempt to get a five-pointer rather than a four from the game went begging due to some confusion in the dying seconds when Johnny Callahan misunderstood the referee and instead of a home line-out in the opposition, 22, his kick into touch made it an anti-climax of a final play. So, good for Aaron to get himself back on winning ways. Jan will be happy that there's things working that he's starting to see come back from what they've had. Again, they've just struggled with that consistency of player and being able to make those connections. So, hopefully that will get sorted. The boys will be able to rock out of training 
and they'll be able to get to work on those systems again that seem to bring them joy when they're, when they're able to put them together. Now, as you'll know from last week, Langham had a bye over the weekend. And as you'll know from about a minute ago, I said that Moffat had been cancelled, John. Yeah, Moffat game called off, uh, opposition not able to get a team out. So they did go and play and in twos uh, at the weekend, which was a good game by all making sure that boys in Dumfries and Galloway are getting a game of rugby again. Uh, Moffat ran out winners of that, but rugby was the winner. In the women's, the Stuart Tree Sirens played their last home game of the Scottish Premiership. All of the rest of them will now be away, which is tough, but they finished by all accounts, on a good note, with a 19.45 loss to Harriet's, but some really, really good rugby. Yeah, I think the the coaching team for the Sirens were real happy because the Sirens actually were the ones that opened the scoring, but just couldn't hang on to Harriet's, who are obviously a very, very good side. They just managed to get the first try for the Sirens, and Caitlin Craig managed to get the other two tries for the Sirens. They're starting to pull those what were big score lines at the start of the season down into to smaller ones. So there's definitely performances happening there. But as we keep saying week in, week out, all eyes are heading towards Geary and what they can do that, that last weekend of the season. They'll get plenty of practice at away games, as you say, Roscoe, with that being the last home game and the next couple of fixtures being all away. As we know, it was Annan 12 West of Scotland, 27, but also in that same league, John, Ayr, 47, Shire, 12. Yeah, and Ayr are going great guns in that that league, so it's no disgrace for Shire, but they will be slightly slightly disheartened that they weren't able to keep that score. Slightly smaller, especially with the ties that Shire have with Ayr, almost sharing players and Neve obviously an air girl originally and Catherine who played for Ayr then played a little bit for Shire and now back playing at Ayr they have some strong ties and some bragging rights in there so they'll be disappointed with that scoreline probably Ayr are probably the stronger of the two teams if if we're going to be brutal about it so it's not a major disaster for Shire's season keeps them still in the same positions sort of that mid-table look and we'll just see how they go for the rest of the season now In the aspiring league we had Dumfries ladies playing yet again and this week I believe we've got yet another comprehensive match report It's the match report that nobody wanted but everybody's getting (laughs) courtesy of Ross Strawbridge Dumfries ladies were on their travels again, this time an overnight in Oban to avoid a 3am start. From all we hear from the ladies, it had been a quiet journey up the road. And when arriving in Oban, they visited the local gastro pub for a bite to eat and rehydrate before setting off to bed for an early 9am ferry. Arriving across the water, they were greeted warmly by the mull captain, who had organised a local minibus to shuttle the team to what is home of the world's most sociable sevens. Only two teams were able to make the journey, with Paisley joining the wonderful women of the Saints. In the first match of the day, Dumfries faced off against Paisley and a repeat of the famous Space Jam first half of Greenock a fortnight ago. And just like the film, Saints Looney Tunes made the comeback of a lifetime. 
down from overlooking the hill. The referee made an appearance in what looked like his game-keeping hill-walking attire, bringing the teams in for a minute's silence. From the kick-off by Dumfries 10, Brian McCaw, the Paisley pack began to dominate until a breath-stealing hit by scrum half Tony Anderson on Paisley's biggest threat saw the boss, the ball spill to Cara Myatt, who pounced on the ball and a quick clear-out by Abby Rogerson created clean ball from which Emily Hunter was able to put wide into the areas that the ladies had been training on attack rather than being sucked into a dogfight. Annabelle Hiddleston collected the ball and is very rarely caught given a bit of space to put Dumfries 5 nothing up. This is not how Paisley coaches expected things to go. Paisley very quickly put the squeeze on Dumfries and hit back with a try to even up the scores. With some gentle encouragement from head coach Richard and his glamorous assistant Ross Strawbridge, who could probably be heard on the mainland, Dumfries gained more composure and began to strut around the pitch, showing an unrivalled confidence with some great attacking play from Abby Tate and Mary McCulloch, fueled by the overnight sleep they apparently had in Oban. Caitlin Maxwell burst into life and sucked in three defenders before releasing Tasha Tries Humphreys to round the defender, scoring her first try of the day, 10-5 to Dumfries. Tasha and Annabelle then traded try scoring, putting Dumfries 20 points to five in front at halftime. What was going on? The ladies came in at halftime absolutely buzzing and encouraged by the scoreline. Dawn Mummy Bear Kunal tried to keep everyone grounded as Richard and Ross went over the plan for the second half. Basically, don't let them back in the game. Subs were made and the teams resumed the field. A scuffed kickoff shot along the ground and was fumbled by Dumfries. From the scrum, Paisley managed to score 10 20. The volume from the sideline began to increase, with Rebecca Rogerson making a break before switching with Tasha, who again took the outside channel, really showing what a lethal finisher she is and can be given little space, completing the hat-trick 25-10. Again, Paisley got back into the game with another try with a very debatable forward-looking pass, but referees calls final, of course, Ross, 25-15. Paisley looked to change the style and started throwing the ball about putting it to the wide channels for their quick winger, who would have been in if it wasn't for an excellent cover tackle from winger Emily Hunter. And from the following scrum, Dumfries' coaching team were screaming to attack the blind side, which Tony took upon herself with a chorus of screams from the touchline, don't you dare look back, 30 points to 15. Not to let that be the end, Paisley scored again through the middle of the pitch, which made the score 30-20, and Tony decided that she liked the taste of the trial line and took a pop at the inside channel from Briney to evade the covering tackle, scoring her second and final try for Dumfries to take the win, 35-20. to 20. The second game of the day was a lot different to the first, and it was very apparent that Mull were going to be the team to watch. Playing with a sevens Fiji style, Mull put 15 unanswered points on the bewildered Saints team who had just come up against this type of play before. Caitlin had put in a huge hit in the middle of the park for Heather Laurie to collect the ball. She passed it out to Emily, who stepped inside her defender before putting Tasha into a bit of space. We have seen this before, and Tasha ran the length of the pitch to score 15 points to five. This seemed to bring Mull back to life, and again, 
They scored three tries, keeping the ball alive and well out of contact, which meant the half-time score was 30 points to five. Annabelle began the second half like a woman possessed and scored not one, but two, which came from turnovers. Mull hit back with three more tries, attacking Dumfries in the wide channels to make the final score 45-15. Women of the match and star players were nominated from the three teams after the game and a huge thank you to Mull for organising. Hopefully, we'll see plenty of teams make the journey down to Dumfries Saints on Sunday the 19th of November at 11 o'clock, where it will be their turn to host the aspiring league tournament. Which leads us so beautifully into the fixtures preview. As we know, the Dumfries ladies will be on Sunday the 19th at 11am. For the Saturday, we will be having the Stewartry Sirens in their first of many more away games and this time they are also headed to the capital to play Watsonians. And I'm pretty sure by now all the listeners are going to know exactly what I'm going to say here. Watsonians is going to be a tough fixture for the Sirens. They are currently sitting top. They are currently unbeaten. 11 wins from 11. Nearly enough 500 points. So it's going to be a tough ask for the Sirens but they are going to go up there, they're going to try their best. As we say, it's all building towards the big crescendo at the end of the season and that's where they've got to be focused on. So this game is going to be tough, it's going to be a hard one. They're going to take, probably going to, they're going to face a lot of challenges in this game and it'll be interesting to see how the Sirens react to this, knowing fine well that they are building towards that game at the end of the season. Scoreline doesn't matter. In this game, performance is what's going to count. Can they front up in defence? Can they put a couple of scores on? Because there's only been 132 points scored against Watsonians. So if they can get some of those points onto the board as well, then that's going to be a real good a real good test for them. In the West 1 League, we've already talked about Anim Warriors game this weekend, of course, with Chocolate against Greenock. But we've also got Shire at home against Oban. Yeah, and this will be a chance for Shire to get another win under the belt, take them over to that winning score. Oban currently sitting bottom of that league, only one win. Shire won't be happy with the result against Ayr, so they'll be looking for a, a fight back this weekend and make sure that they can put in a good performance and not get caught out by an Oban team who will have their back against the wall and be coming out all guns blazing. Back over to the men's and Newton Stewart are looking to back up that fantastic win against Falkirk as they are at Bladnock again playing last Wade. Again, for the time being, top of the table last Wade. Yeah, and this one's not quite as formidable because last Wade have been beaten twice. So Newton are currently sitting fourth in that league. As we said a week, well, a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week, we talked about just how tight that, that is at the top of the table for those guys. Gordonians sitting just underneath them on 30 points. Peebles sitting on 37. Newton sitting on 33. So a win there for Newton will take them up into that contention and it will blow this league wide open again if they can go and reverse the fixture that they played last time against last Wade. A struggling Dumfries Saints side are playing a mid-table 
Hillhead Jordan Hill at Park Farm. Yeah, and that's maybe the break that Paddy's looking for. Although Hills will be absolutely no mugs, hopefully it won't be another big score line. Hopefully he gets his boys back fit that they're able to put out a decent team and try and not make amends because I don't think that's fair on them. But they'll be looking to try and make the score lines a bit more respectable. You know, no one wants to see 80-odd points scored on their, on their clubs. So hopefully the Saints get their uh, the players recovered, get them back on the paddock uh, and can give a, a bit more of a, a bit more of a better account of themselves. They're, they're a better team than being beat by being beat by eight points, I would say. That's at Stuart Tree, a mid-table Stuart Tree, are at home here at Greenlaw playing a second-bottom Perthshire side. The first chance, well, I say the first chance only because we lost against Strathmore. That was a chance to do a league double, but we've another chance to do a league double having beaten Perthshire earlier in the season. We've got them again, this time at home. Yeah, and I think if you're Stuart Ray, don't want to talk for you boys or put any additional pressure on you, but this is definitely a game that you'll be looking to try and win. It's a home game. Perthshire sitting second bottom, as you say, Roscoe. So this really should be a Stuart Ray win to get themselves off of that 50-50 mark, get them back in another positive in the win column and hopefully pick up a bonus point. Four tries, crash ball time, Ross. Uh, this is the only other game of the season I cannot play. I've missed, I will miss two games this season. The first one was Perthshire away, and the second one is this weekend Perthshire at home. You feel a Perthshire? No, I just, just how it's happened. I'm actually, I'm really keen to play this weekend. It's going to be a crack inside. We've got out. I, I honestly think I am the only one not available. So it's, it's going to be a strong side. But, uh, but I thought John should have a shot to get his, get his number 10 shirt back. So that's why I've stepped aside. Just in case anybody's wondering, you can, if you see John, give him a little pat on the back and wish him well for this weekend. Now, as we said, as I said at the start, we have three buys this weekend in the West, in West 1 and in West 3. So our Annan, our Shire and our Moffat are not playing this weekend. But our Langham in East 1 are playing against a team, John, I believe was the first team you ever played against when you pulled on a Stewartry shirt. Of course, this isn't Stewartry, this is Langham. They are playing Forrester. Yeah, Forrester was my first official league game of the season when I first joined Stewartry. And I remember it fondly because I'm pretty sure we had to throw a young Cami Fennec in the shower because he was absolutely freezing cold and couldn't move. So it was a glorious place to go and play as Forrester. But luckily for Langham, it is the opposite. They are at home. Forrester are travelling down, as you say, Roscoe. They are pretty tight in the table. There's only a couple of points separating them. So that's a good opportunity for Langham to pick up another victory, which they really could do with, with getting. They are only on three wins, five losses. They really want to try and get that back, at least to an even keel, and then start doing what I always termed as a winning season is, is always what we kind of looked for as a as a club. So hopefully Langham can get that win. They can start climbing back up that table because, as we've said before, that table is pretty tight. You know, Langham, 117, a couple of points ahead of them is Broughton, who are sitting in third, 122. Pick up a few wins there and they're, they're back, in, back in a respectable top of the table clash. So good luck to them. We'll see how they go at the weekend. Uh, after our regional leagues in the West here have a bye. 
Good luck to Langham. Good luck to Newton, Dumfries, Stewartry, the Stewartry Sirens, Annam Warriors, Shire Ladies, and Saints Ladies as well. I don't believe we had any last week, John, but this week I think we do. Some any other rugby business? Yeah, just a shout out to Annan High School because today was the under sixteen regional final, and we had a winner in Annan Academy winning the boys, and Moffat Academy winning the girls under 16 competition. So well done for everybody who was taking part. Uh, there was Kirkubri, there was Annan, there was Northwest Community Campus, there was Wallace Hall, there was Moffat, and there was Castle Douglas, all there for the boys. And the girls comp, we had Lockerbie, Wallace Hall, Moffat, and Douglas Stewart, St. Joe's College, all taking part in the girls. Well done for everybody. Well done for qualifying, first and foremost, and well done to the two teams for picking up that victory. That was another episode of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Thank you again for listening. Thank you very much to Chocolate for coming on and chatting all things rugby. Annan's most capped player ever. Good luck to everyone this weekend. Cheers, John. Cheers, Roscoe. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a like and review on our social medias. Our Facebook page is Dumfries and Galloway Rugby Podcast. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are DG Rugby Pod. We also have the Score Predictor, which we run weekly, which will be on our social media accounts. And once again, thank you for any support that you offer the pod. It really does help us spread the word of rugby in Dumfries and Galloway across the country.